Doc Rivers continues to time and time again not get it when it comes to getting. Oh! Let him play. You bet one one bone to win nineteen. I'm just, where? What site do you use where you can actually bet one buck? <laughs> they let you do fifty cent bets. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally, like he dropped Superman down like the drain. Comes out. Like, God damn it, Superman. <laughs> I don't know, honey. I don't know where he got that from. From Los Angeles, this is Dave in the City. Part of the Dit Cow Sports Network. Now, here's Dave Medina. Good evening, sports fans! And a pleasure to have you here for the big Dit Cow Football Show. Good to have you with us from the Dave in the City studios at the home of champions, Southern California. And at this home of champions, we're going to take a break from football once again. We're going to get into some golf. And uh, we just completed, over the weekend, the PGA Championship. And uh, we're here to talk about it. And our usual golf crew is here to do it with us. John in Connecticut will join us for this, for this, for this major recap, along with Mike in North Jersey, who will be joining us momentarily. Uh, Andy in Seattle is understandably uh, going to be dialed into the Celtics game tonight. Big playoff game, obviously. The series is tied 2-2 in the East Finals in the NBA. So uh, major ramifications for Game 5 tonight in Miami. And we'll see how the Celtics end up doing over the course of the evening. But, uh, yeah, it should be a really good time. So we had a really good field in the in the PGA Championship at Southern Hills in Oklahoma. And there were so many great rootable stories. You had Mito Ferreira, who had never even made a cut in a major before. He was making a nice – he was really making a nice run. And he had a chance at it on Sunday – you also had Will Zalatoris, who John called it top five, top five finish. Looking great. Cam Young, one of the younger guys, pretty good, I believe. Tommy Fleetwood, we, we, were, we, were, we were asking the question, would Tommy Fleetwood make it on uh, American soil and win a major out here um, on this continent? And he was in the top five. So you had Rory McIlroy, who had, who had a nice round early um, in the first round specifically, and a decent enough round in the fourth round. Uh so did any of them win? No. It was it was Justin Thomas who came out of nowhere to to, to take this thing. And so the, I I mean, look, I know that we shouldn't be biased about this. We should be very we should be very <laughs> we should be um we should be very objective with the analysis of these things. But to say that the most likable guy won the, the most likable guy did not win. Like, he's one of the least likable guys on the tour. and uh, <laughs> But you got to give him a lot of credit. He got the job done. I'm, we're just waiting on Mike to join us here before I go to every, before I before I bring everybody in. It's just that I need to – I'm kind of waiting for the join. I need to rename the name as well. So, well, let me just get John in via – oh, there we go. All right, cool. I think we got it. Okay, so give me a real sec. Give me a sec here. Okay, cool. We're good to go. Okay, so uh, let's go introduce everybody here on the program, and uh, here they are, our friends John, our friend John, and our friend Mike. They're all here. Uh, let's go to John first. John, welcome back. How's it going tonight? Hey Dave, yeah, good to be back. Um, it was a very interesting event on Sunday. I think we kind of knew we were going to get some fireworks with just the names that were at the top of the leaderboard. And I know we'll get into that, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, good to be here to talk about some golf, and um, should be a fun time. 
Yeah, I think so too. I, I, I think we're going to be in for a very good discussion, and we'll all be talking about other topics around the sun. And I know Tiger will make its way into the conversation too, but uh, we'll get into that later. But let's bring in Mike. Mike, how's it going tonight? Doing pretty well, Dave. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, absolutely wild finish to the second major of the year, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking about it with you guys. Well, I love it, Mike, and, and it really was like it. It was really tight, pretty much from the beginning. Like Saturday was incredibly with incredible amount of juice, and Sunday did not disappoint either. It really came down to the last couple holes, and. You know, I feel really bad for Mito Ferreira for, but it's kind of not, it's not a surprise really either because he had never been involved in anything of this, of this level before. And so, you know, you feel for him though. Hopefully he'll make a comeback. But, um, if you want me to start with you, Mike, the man who won Justin Thomas has won majors before he's been involved in a lot of big scenarios. He can be really on or he can be really off. And on Sunday, he was extremely on, shooting a 67 in the final round. He actually had a really good tournament. Like, he only had one bad round. It was the third round. But when he came into Sunday, he was down, what was it, eight strokes, I believe? At least at least five or six. So it's incredible that he made this comeback. But uh, I'll give it to you for your thoughts on, on the on how it ended and, and the big finish. Sure. So I guess I'll touch upon a couple points here. You know, there are some majors where going in a storyline is somewhat predictable. I would say that the Masters with Scotty Scheffler winning was somewhat predictable with the stretch of golf he was in. Uh, if we go back to like the 2019 uh, PGA Championship, the first one in May, I could definitely say that the uh, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson matching up in the final round, that was kind of predictable based on what was going to happen. Then you have majors like this where it's just almost like someone takes some dice and throws them across the table and <laughs> everything gets all jambled up and uh, things go come out the way they come out. So, I mean, Mito Pereira, there's almost two ways to look at this. You can't say that it is completely, absolutely out of nowhere. Someone with absolutely no form, missing cuts left and right, coming in, contending, being up by, what, three, four strokes going into the final round. Uh, you, you can't say it's completely out of nowhere because he's generally, he's been making cuts. He hasn't been finishing in the top 10, but he's been doing enough where he's in a position where if he just kept on repeating his performance, he would very comfortably um, retain his tour card and probably be in what the first two playoff events without breaking much of a sweat. So it's a guy who is playing decent enough, not great golf. But it was a surprise. You know, I don't think anyone was really saying Mito Pereira as your pick going in. And I don't think anyone expected him to be up by as much as he was. Um, but going into the final round, you know, the entire time and, you know, I wasn't rooting against him or anything, but I just had a feeling that he wasn't going to be able to hold it together. It's just... He had only played in one major beforehand, the 2019 U.S. Open, and he missed the cut. He's never won on the PGA Tour. He's never won like a major event in Europe or like an Australian Open or something like that. So it's just you're asking a lot of a guy who is in his only in his second major, first time playing the weekend. 
you're asking a lot for him to be able to hold it together because he's going to be feeling things that he hasn't felt. And excuse me for sounding a bit like Paul Azinger here, Azinger here, but it's somewhat <laughs> true. He hasn't been in that position before, yeah. and you know he's going to react differently because the major pressure is different. And, you know, for the first six holes, you know, he's treading water. He's even par, but, you know, then it starts to come apart. Now, granted, seven and eight are tough holes, but he's not able to get off the bogey train. I think he made one more birdie, but he get, gets a few more uh, bogeys, and then he gets to 18, which, you know, granted, is a tough hole. And if you want an example of major championship pressure, and what that will do to a professional golfer that nothing else will do. Just look at his swing on the 18th tee. Just uh, one of the most bizarre looking follow throughs you'll ever see. It, clearly, he just got all out of place and tried to save it at the last minute. But that's all nerves there. And, of course, he pushes the shot right, hits it into the creek, ends up making double bogey and misses out on the playoff by one shot. So uh, a heartbreaking, if not entirely unsurprising uh, result there. Although, you know, it's interesting. Golf Channel showed a uh, graphic after this ended, and they went over some guys who had um, who had gone to, like, the 18th hole and made double bogey or worse and um, – to like lose a major outright one was phil mickelson 06 us open and another one was um sam sneed who also lost his only chance at winning a us open doing that so you know th this has happened to some pretty high level golfers but uh it was just i think nerves and not being used to it and then yeah justin thomas um you got to give him a ton of credit he was playing on the wrong side of the draw. And the way the worst, the, the, the first two days worked out here was because of the winds and when they came and when they laid down, you really had a big advantage for if you played early, late Thursday, Friday. And Justin Thomas was the opposite. He was late early. So that second round that he shot in the wind was absolutely fantastic. And then the third round came and he just he didn't quite have it. And then he goes around. He's not doing much early. He shanks a ball on the first par three, which is like, and, you know, sometimes they'll say a shank for a pro golfer, but it's not really a shank. No, this was flat out a shank. It went at 45 degree angle off to the right. So, uh, but he's able to come back. He uh, birdies nine, which is definitely a birdie hole. It's driving a pitch. Then he makes that long putt on 11 and that sort of, you know, that sparks it and gets going. He makes another birdie on 12 he makes a birdie on 17, which, you know, you had to do with where the uh, tee was. It's a great shot on 18, and he gets to five under. And even though he was a shot out at the time, I think you could almost expect that. You didn't expect uh, Pereira to make double, but you could, with how hard 18 was, it was almost like, you know what, he has a good shot here uh, to get in. Then uh, Will Zalatoris. Now, Will Zalatoris, to me, looked a little bit nervous the whole day. Uh, there were shots where he airmailed a few things, which is adrenaline. And then there are shots where he had quite a few pulls. And pulls are, you get a little bit quick, your nerves are going. So he was a little bit off. But you know what? He showed some gumption there in birdieing 17 uh, and then saving par on 18 from the right side. So... 
he was able to sort of hold it together um, after he had. But the thing is, he let an opportunity slip away. He started off well, and then, you know, the nerves started to get to him. He was able to hold it together, and he gets the playoff. So those two get to a playoff, Zalatoris and Thomas. And now when you're looking, you went from, like, looking at we're going to get an unknown person winning this tournament, and there's not much juice. So all of a sudden you have Justin Thomas, one of the most prolific winners on the tour currently, and Will Zalatoris, who has not won, but he's, like, considered one of the brighter talents. So we're in a good position. And uh, really, I think key moment of that playoff was Zalatoris hits 13, the par five and two. Justin Thomas has to lay up because he had his drive interrupt, but Justin Thomas sticks the third shot, makes the birdie. Zalatoris two putts, and they're even. And then, you know, Thomas hits the great shot on 17, drives the green, makes birdie, goes one up, and then, uh, you know, take care of business on 18. So, a, um, you know, it's one of the biggest comebacks in PGA Tour history uh, or in major championship history. But it's weird, though. It, it doesn't feel like Thomas put on this great charge or anything. Granted, he played well. He shot a few under. But he put himself, you know, in position to be in position. And the second thing that needed to happen happened, which was uh, Pereira was not able to keep it together. So credit to him. I think, uh, you know, it's five years after his first major championship, once you get it to like five, six years, you know, that's, that starts to get troublesome, but he got a second one under his belt. It'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. Um, you know, with his iron game and his uh, approach game, I think he definitely would have a good chance to win at uh, the country club next month. So uh, a good win for him. And uh, he's now, remarkably close to his best friend, Jordan Spieth, in terms of career accomplishments. So a uh, well done by Justin Thomas. Yeah, credit words too. He, had, he did have some great shots, particularly on the back nine and, and some really good shots in the playoff. Like it was, so the playoff is a three-hole aggregate playoff and it was pretty exciting. There were some, they were, you know, there's just some really remarkable approach shots in there too. So let's go to John and get your recap of, of the, of the, of the finish. I, I normally say the winner, but but since it was such a tight field, it's really not just about one guy here. You're talking about a bunch of folks who were really involved in this. I do have to give Zalatoris so much credit, and you called it, John. You really loved, or maybe both of you really loved, Zalatoris' top five. It's a great spot, and Vitra, too. Like, credit to him for, for that idea. And he and he came through. Like, he really had a great round, and if it was one bounce here or there, he'd have been in first place. So let's get your thoughts. Yeah, we'll start with Will. Um, I did bet him 35 to 1, too, to win. So that, that was a little tough spot uh, on Sunday. Um, yeah, I mean, if you like, I give him credit for making the putts on 17 and 18, like Mike said, because that was just huge. Because I did not think there was any chance he was making either of those, especially when he missed a four footer for par on the previous hole on 16. And if, if you remember, they showed like close up his putting stroke. It's like, it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Like he goes back like six inches with the putter, hovers it for like half a second and then goes more and then putts. Like I was like, Oh my God, this guy's going to like get the yips here on the, you know, putting. I can see why he's, he's not a good putter. Um, you know, and it, it's crazy because the first two rounds, he was number one in the field and strokes gained putting. And you're just like, Oh my God, like, can you keep this going for two days? Well, not so much Saturday. His swing wasn't, you know, what it normally was on Sunday, uh, like Mike alluded to. Um, but he's, he's still hung in there pretty well. And, you know, I'll give him credit for making the putts on 17 and 18. But he, he has got to change that that stroke. He's got to work with somebody 
Um, you know, and he'd be a real prolific winner. He's, he's still winning, almost winning these tournaments with that kind of putting stroke. Um, and, you know, like I, I said last week, at a birdie fest kind of course, like the Byron Nelson, when he, you know, you just shoot 30 under, like you, you don't want to take him. But like for this kind of event where it's just you hit the green, the hit the fairway, hit the green, roll on a putt every once in a while, he's like the perfect golfer to, to pick. So I'm already going to be in on him in the U.S. Open. Like he'll probably be 30 or 35 to one again. So I'm going to hit that for sure. But, um, you know, I don't think it's going to be like a lot of scar tissue for him on this one because it was kind of, I don't know, like, like I said, I, I think he's he's young enough, and it was kind of his first real. Exp- I mean, he was he almost did he blow up the Masters last year too. I mean, he didn't really have a chance to win that, like compared to this. But I think he'll be fine. But he definitely needs some work with his putting. Um, but yeah, I mean, Thomas, you know, it just goes to show you, you just you at these these majors that they play hard. You just you grind out the pars. You you throw in a birdie here and there. You don't give up, and who knows at the end of the day what could happen. Um, and it's funny because if Nito doesn't collapse, like the narrative is going to be, oh, well, Thomas couldn't putt down the stretch. I mean, he missed a number of birdie putts that he could have made. Uh, on, um, he could have made a birdie on 18 uh, to get to six under. Uh, there was a putt, I believe it was on the 16th hole. That was pretty, pretty out. He drained the bomb on 11, so it kind of evens out one of those. But, um, you know, he – he had a had a rough time with some of those short putts but again the narrative would have been oh like he's comes up short again and um but you know Mito had his uh unorthodox swing to say the least on the 18th you could just tell I mean that was he just was so fast and with his swing speed and then just didn't even have to finish the follow-through and you just knew that that was just not not going to be good um when that happened so, but, you know, but overall, I mean, I, you know, I think that's going to affect him for a little while, for sure, uh, losing that kind of a major in that fashion. But he's a promising young player. I mean, he, he I think he won three times on the Corn Ferry Tour last year to get his promotion to the PGA Tour. So anybody who does that, I mean, they can play. And then he played well at the Olympics, too. Uh, he represented Chile there. Um, and then just since he's been on tour, he's, he has, he, again, another guy who is really good with his irons um, and just struggles with the putter. You could kind of see that this week. I mean, he was he was really striking the ball well. Um, so we'll, we'll see some more of him. Um, and then, uh, you know, it was just it was all set up, though, for a guy to come from behind. Because when you in heading into the all players who have never won majors, and I believe hadn't won on the PGA Tour, I could be wrong about that, because it was Nito obviously didn't. Matt Fitzpatrick, again, you know, uh, he's one of the, the DP World Tour, but never on the PGA Tour. Um, we did call that top 20, though, Dave. That was pretty easy to get him. I mean, you know, that was that was a lock. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you had, obviously, Will was playing with um, – oh, who, was, who was Will playing with? Uh, oh, gosh. I'm, I'm losing my mind now. Both the leaderboard. The, the top six on the leaderboard um, were all guys who had not won on the PGA Tour before. Oh, he's playing with Keith. Cam Young, obviously, he's a rookie, so he hadn't won the PGA Tour yet. And then behind them, I don't think I saw a shot at these guys all day, whereas uh, Seamus Power and Abraham Answer, uh, both of the guys, those guys have one win, but they're not, like, you know, proven major winners. So it was setting up for whoever could post a score to take the tournament, and that's exactly what Tom did. Again, he got his bad shots out of the way early, made a charge on the back nine. Honestly, <clears throat> CBS really didn't even start showing him until, like, 
you know, the, the 12th hole or the 13th hole, uh, once he, once he drained that long putt on the, on the par three. Um, so, you know, he, he's a, he was due honestly for a win though, because if you've been following, you know, over the past year, um, since his, his win at the players, he's, he's been playing really well and striking the ball well and just hasn't really putted great in some of these events and has come up just short. And it, again, it kind of looked like that was going to happen here, but he gets the luck that he needs and then uh, just really outplays Will in the playoffs. I mean, no one lost that. He just hit some great shots right, and, and right. took it. Um, and then one more thing to mention, uh, and we'll probably get to the field after some of these other guys, but I just want to mention Rory McIlroy, who gets to four under par through five holes and then I wonder if, like, you had, whisk, you had gone out in the course and whispered to him, like, on the fifth tee or the sixth tee, hey, Rory, you just need to get to five under and you're going to be in the playoff. Like, I don't know if that would have changed his approach to anything. But really, he he had so many chances to really make birdies did. the rest of that round, and he just couldn't do it. And then he butchers the short par four, 17th, and that was the end of him. But what a massive disappointment. And even – he shoots five under after day one, too. And he just told him to play even par the rest of the, the way you're going to win the tournament. Very, very – that's got to be a tough thing for him to swallow for sure. So, yeah, I guess, you know, kind of a lot of disjointed thoughts. But um, I know the ratings didn't reflect it. But, man, that was a really exciting final round. I, I definitely enjoyed it. When you say ratings, did, were, was, were they good ratings? Because it was a really tight finish. Oh, no. Because no, uh, there's no bad. big name, right? Yeah. Other than Justin Thomas, yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. I guess that's that's about. Hey, you right. got to see every single shot of Tiger Woods on Saturday, though. Uh, and then he withdrew, which is again, that's gonna be. We can cover that too. Like, I mean, look, listen, like, good on him, like trying it again. But he was miserable that third round. I was like, it's almost better. It would have been better if he just missed a cut. It was painful to watch, honestly. Yeah, it really. Like, was. I was just like, please stop showing this guy. It's really, it's really painful to watch this. But yeah. anyway, we enough about him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, now I want to get back to Rory for a moment because I really thought that there was a. Let me try to figure out which hole it was. I think it was eleven on Saturday. Man, that that hole. That's what really made this, this this really difficult for Rory. If he could have just avoided that bad blow-up hole on Saturday, he'd have been in the mix. He had a nice round on Sunday. That's a tough spot. Um, and I so look, we're, we're, let's go talk about the field now. And um, as part of that, I I actually want to acknowledge Scheffler, who was really dad. Like I was kind of surprised. I was shocked. Like he didn't. I don't think he made the cut, if I remember correctly. I was shocked. Anyway, Mike, I'll give it to you to talk about the field, but man, I thought he'd be in the mix, and he really was not at all at any point. But lots of surprises and disappointments. So I'll give it to you now for your thoughts. So, Dave, I was actually not really all that surprised with Scheffler. This guy's life has changed dramatically in a span of about six weeks, uh, from never winning to have won four times and to win the Masters and become the number one player in the world. And, you know, because we have the PGA and – in May now, you don't have that much downtime. So it's not like, like if we were still on the old schedule and we were talking about him winning the Masters and we were going into Brookline in June, all right, he's got two months. He has some time to adjust to it. You don't have any time to adjust to stuff now. It's just figured his head might be elsewhere. So um, it clearly was. So he wasn't a big shock. Um, you know, Rory, it's uh, it almost um, what I said the last time we were together almost foreshadowed what happened that, you know what? Yeah, he had that nice final round at the Masters, but I'm not going to 
let, let's see him win a major before yeah. I jump up and down and go, well, you know, this is and granted. He, he looked like the old Rory McIlroy in that Sunday round at the masters. He looked like the old Rory McIlroy in the first round here, but you know, I, he did have the two double bogeys on Saturday, which admittedly I didn't see it. I had my graduation had all kinds of other stuff going on over the weekend, but um, I did watch Sunday though. But um what really set him back was he the wind died down on Friday when he was playing and he still shot over par. Tiger shot 69 playing the same group with him. He he had to shoot even par better. He couldn't be giving up strokes then. And then Zalatoris had another the uh, good round on Friday and then he's well behind the eight ball. So yeah, but John's right. Like he shoots 65 on Thursday and even par for three rounds, that's that would have gotten him in the playoff. And if you look at what his skill set is and what this course was like, he should have been able to do that. But I don't know. We'll see. Um, who knows how he'll do at the U.S. Open? I don't know. We don't know much about this course. The last time we saw it was the Ryder Cup, and they renovated it since then. So um open championship at st andrews he loves that course so i don't know maybe that'll put him in the right frame of mind where he could break through this but who knows um yeah i guess let's let's talk about tiger real quick um if he can't play four straight rounds without his leg bothering him he shouldn't be playing because he has to look at things right now and say okay my chance to win are probably gone, but maybe I have one more left in the bank. And maybe he does. Who knows? I mean, Phil won at 51 and Tiger's 46. And it's not outside the absolute realm of possibility. But if he wants to make that happen, he has to be selective. If he's going to go out here and play on a stressed leg where he's sore, he can't put weight on it, and he knows he can't put four rounds together, then all he's doing is he, you're going to compensate for that, and you're going to increase the risk that you hurt your back or do something else like that because you're doing something different from the swing to compensate. So he's got to reflect here and figure out a way. If he can't play four straight rounds, he shouldn't play because he's. it's like he's draining whatever reserves he might have left, and he's not going to have anything left for – you know, if he is possibly a little bit better than he is now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but you know what we'll probably see now? You know, I think there's a good chance he won't play the U.S. Open because he probably just figures I have no chance to win that anyway with uh, you know, how the setup is and the type of game you need to have to play there. Even if he wasn't hobbling around, that would still be a bit of a stretch. But I don't know, you know, I, we better not get though the same Son and Dan show leading into the U.S. Open. Will he or won't won't he play? Oh, he's played a practice round. Oh, let's go on Twitter and look. His private plane went from Orlando to Boston. You know who cares? It just guys, this is what gets to me. They've uploaded. I mean, the Masters did this a few years ago, where they uploaded all the old final rounds. And now, if you look on YouTube, you can find a lot of stuff from the late '70s and early '80s of like U.S. Opens, some PGA Championships. So I've like just browsed through some of them, 
And in the early 80s and going into the mid 80s, nobody on those broadcasts is talking about Jack Nicholas like they talk about Tiger Woods now. And there's not this intense focus on Jack Nicholas that he's bigger than the game and no one else is worth watching. So this is sort of a, you know, it's just like, uh, I won't go into the same discussion again, but it's just, what are we doing here? I mean, he's only has a few years left, and I, I guess you've just conceded that those fans will, won't ever watch golf again after he leaves. But what do I know? I'm not a, a TV executive. So I guess another guy is Dustin Johnson. He, he's been in just a real sort of a funk the last couple of years. He's outside of the top 10 in the world. In fact, I think he's flirting with being outside the top 20 in the world. Um anyone else worth you know what's very weird is jordan spieth now is hitting the ball well but is a terrible putter how how, how does that happen <laughs> like I, he wasn't ever going to maintain the level of putting he had in 2015 because that's just impossible but to, to now be like a statistically bad putter i, I don't know it, very strange. Now he had that big win in Hilton Head in the playoff over Patrick Cantley, but um, not able to follow it up here with success in a major championship. Anyone else I want to quickly <laughs> I guess we'll give a shout out to John Daly, who was briefly leading the tournament on a Thursday because <laughs> zipping around in the golf cart, ripping cigs, chugging Diet Cokes, and eating nothing but peanut M&M. And at 55, <laughs> he led a major golf tournament for about five or six holes so listen credit to him it shows you like how much natural talent that guy had that he can just show up not giving a shit and be in the lead briefly but uh at 50 whatever years old he is so that was a uh brief uh, amusing sideshow to watch but uh I, somehow I don't think we'll be seeing his name at the top of the leaderboard ever again. So I guess we'll <laughs> bid him adieu with that nice performance yeah. on Thursday morning. Definitely. I mean, seeing him on TV, I'm like, wow, this is pretty interesting. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give it to them for that. Um, John, let's give your thoughts in the field as well. Yeah, some big names missed the cut. I mean, we already referenced Scheffler. Um, I mean, he had been playing great, but you, you had to figure, like, he, he wasn't going to continue to be, like, on top of the world like that. I know we mentioned hand is one of the, the picks uh on the show last week but it, in, in hindsight it kind of made sense that you know he's playing so so well like you can't can't keep that going in every major i wouldn't be surprised to see him uh you know bounce back and, and be in contention for the but um you know dustin johnson again yeah very disappointing from him uh patrick cantlay was like 12 over through two rounds like i don't think anyone saw that coming but that kind of continues a pattern for him that he's just struggling in majors. Uh, so that's something that he has to, uh, you know, flaw in his, his resume that he has to take care of at this point. Um, in terms of guys who made the cut, uh, I am very, very disappointed in Hideki Matsuyama. Uh, he had been playing great golf coming in. And you know what? This That tells me to not rely on anything that happens at that pitch and putt course at the Byron Nelson the week before. Um, because he he played so well at that tournament and was hitting the ball amazing, and he was just awful at this this thing. And he made he you know he made the cut in the number and then played like five over par uh, for the the third and fourth round. And the reason I mentioned him is because you know it's all about me here. But I did a parlay, a top twenty parlay with we talked about this Hideki Zan- yeah no well this is a different parlay oh, okay. than the one that we did Dave uh, Hideki Xander. 
who finished 13th, Cameron Smith, who finished 13th, and then Will, obviously, was in the top 20. He finished second. So that was 30 to 1 parlay. So if Hideki had finished in the top 20, it would have been 30 to 1. And of course, he just completely sucked overall. And that was very, very disappointing. So all about me with that. But, um, you know, I expected more out of him. Just in general, he'd been playing so well this year. Um, so again, you know, disappointing effort from him. Uh, we, you know, we already talked about McElroy. I mean, really, the the there wasn't much in terms of like movement from a lot of these big names. Like, you know, we were saying like the, all the guys that were up there kind of just stayed there, and then you know, Thomas made the run to the end. I'm just kind of looking at the people in the top ten. I mean, Tommy Fleetwood came out of nowhere to get a top five. I mean, he he that was the the Rory McElroy performance of the week. Just kind of you know, three under par on Sunday, and you know, grab yourself a nice chunk of change and a lot of world ranking points. And now he's going to be a popular pick for the tournament this week, which I don't know if I like that or not. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was an interesting, interesting uh, group of players that ended up kind of finishing with top 10. Like it was, it was just kind of, it was just kind of bizarre, but yeah, a lot of big names did not do well at this event, which I'm really not surprised about because the course is tough. And then when you, when you threw in that, the weather, um, you know, it could really knock out anybody. So, um, you know, it's kind of not surprising that we got the result that we did with some of the guys that got the better draw and, um, you know, we just kind of grinded it out for the, for the week. So that's kind of, kind of the, the, the thoughts on the field as, as a whole. Well, thanks, John. That was a really good recap. And I like your reference to the weather. I think we should start talk about that too, because that was a real factor in the final two rounds. Mike, any comments on the weather at at Southern Hills? Um, no, not really. I just um, I touched on it earlier, mm-hmm. where there was enough wind early, and um, where it worked in a way where it really affected one side of the draws compared to another, which oh, is yeah, yeah, true. Al- yeah. which is always a theme you see at the open championship because they mm-hmm. go off only on one tee and it's like, because of how much daylight they have there, it goes so far through the day and yeah, you just, um, it's either you have the luck of the draw or you don't. So I, that's just what made uh, Thomas's win even more impressive was that he, came from the opposite end of the draw. And I I guess relating to the weather, I will say that, you know, they did a good job here with this course in terms of, it seemed like it was set up uh, very much having an idea of what the, like sort of playing or, or setting or planning on having like a constant wind and, uh, or that wind would be a factor because, um, you know, the fairways were pretty generous um the rough wasn't super long off the uh fairways and i mean this would have been regardless of the win anyway but th- there isn't heavy rough around the greens they have fall off areas so you know it, it, a setup like that it you almost think in the back of your head it's like well you know didn't they do that at Erin hills at the u.s open where they're like no you know what we can have wide fairways here and the wind will probably be up and then the wind wasn't up and then the guys, uh, you know, torched that course, but um, no, it, it just seemed to be a very good setup for a course that was, uh, or a, a setup that was clearly taking the wind into account. So good job there by the PGA of America in setting it up. 
Good deal. Okay. Um, that's pretty good. I mean, so let's just wrap. We can put a bourbon on it. Um, my, uh, John, anything you wanted to add as far as any of the scenarios? With in regards to the weather? Yeah, with respect to the weather, because you mentioned it earlier in your in your segment. No, I mean it definitely played a role in the event. Mm-hmm. I mean, it knocked out a lot of guys that might have otherwise played well and, and made the cut. I mean, you could say, well, you know, deal with the conditions, but I mean, clearly it was pretty bad for that segment of the that half of the half of the field. But I mean, that's that's golf. I mean, maybe those guys get the better end of the draw at the at the open in a couple months. So yeah. I mean, it is what yeah. it is. You deal with the conditions in front of you, and you know to make the cut so i, I you know okay. that's all there all right i mean this is pretty well so it's a pretty succinct recap this time around i think i mean we've really said a lot of things that need that that uh, we've really covered a lot of bases here we can talk let's talk about the broadcast a little i mean there, i don't really have much to say myself so mike uh, any thoughts on, on the telecast or the website or any other media uh yeah i'll, I'll say a couple things um Look, ESPN Plus is a good value. Um, what is it? Five, six bucks a month. And you get basically every single college sporting event there is, uh, with the exception of like the Big Ten, um, you know, all the NHL games. So it, it, the complete 30 for 30 library. So listen, if you buy that, you're not going to feel like, like I remember when the NHL announced their new deal that, um, Oh, we're going to have what eight games a year that are exclusive to it. I'm like, well, you're forcing my hand a little bit, but when my hand got forced, I was like, yeah, you know what? This is, uh, this is more than worth it. So from that aspect, okay. If you're going to put the service behind a paywall, it's at least a valuable paywall. That being said, I, I don't know if it's necessarily the best idea to have, the whole, uh, like so much of the early coverage behind a paywall, it's just that uh, doesn't seem to be necessarily a way to grow the game. And especially when, if you're going to talk about a mission to try to expand golf to more underprivileged communities and stuff like that, do you really want to, with how expensive like access to golf is, do you really want to make it so that people have to pay to watch golf, even though it's not much? So I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing from an optics perspective. And then the other thing I'll say is that apparently in Canada, what they do is TSN puts up all of like the featured groups and all that other stuff on broadcast television. So it's interesting that they get that deal and uh, we don't. Um, And then the other thing I would say about the streaming coverage from what I saw on uh, uh, Thursday mostly is that it seems like as compared to the uh master streaming coverage where they have that main feed now and they throw you around it seems like that the main feed of the um of espn plus was really just showing me featured groups and not anything outside of that so i don't know it it could be better you're able to watch more of it now than you were in the tnt days so obviously that's an improvement and one one thing i don't understand is you know, they had this lat. They had this with TNT too, where they bring in all the CBS crew at some point on the ESPN coverage, but Faldo's not there. So Ian Baker Finch slides into Faldo's role, and I, the the reasoning they gave for that years ago with TNT was that well, Faldo has a uh, 
contract with both CBS and NBC, so they don't want them doing the third thing. But, you know, a contract is just it, it's an enforceable agreement. You can just renegotiate it. I don't know how he hasn't had an agent or how some lawyer for someone hasn't figured something out to get him on the early round coverage, because, you know, uh, it, it, it just sort of it's just sort of weird to have the CBS guys there without foul, though. It's like, wh- what are we doing here? So. I mean, no big complaints, but I, I do think the PGA would do better to grow the game to maybe have a little bit less of this early coverage behind a, a paywall. That's that's cool. I mean, the coverage that is there is very good. I will say, I was watching some of that on the first two days of the, of, of the tournament, but it's a very reasonable it's a very reasonable point, Mike. I mean, I mean, Tommy was actually ranting about that too. If you if you saw on the Discord, and uh, it it's com- it, I get it, I get it. Like that's a lot of coverage to be putting behind a paywall. There's no doubt. Um, so let's go to John. Let's get your thoughts on the media coverage. Yeah, you can't complain with the amount of the coverage. You know, you flip it on at eight a.m. You see Daly hitting his first shot, and you know, you get in on the leaderboard for a few holes. Um, so li- they literally do from the first shot to the last putt. So you can't complain about that. Honestly, really, every single week it's like that now on ESPN Plus. Like, if you want to watch the first shot at Colonial tomorrow, you can do it on ESPN Plus. So, it's far more you know valuable than just like five dollars. I mean, it's it's amazing um, that they have that kind of coverage now. So, I'm completely in favor of that. I do agree though. Like Thursday and Friday, if you didn't have ESPN Plus, you couldn't watch anything until what one o'clock or two o'clock. So you're missing like six hours of coverage there um mike has two yeah so two o'clock so you're missing six hours of coverage that you would have not seen unless you you paid for it um so i do agree with that point on the weekends it wasn't so bad there was only like one hour or two hours in the morning and then it went to espn and then went to cbs so yeah i think maybe they could do like two hours of exclusive streaming like on thursday and friday and then do you know like 10 a.m for the uh uh main ESPN coverage, but in terms of the amount, I mean, you, you can't complain. Um, if I remember correctly, the uh, NBC again has the, the U S open. So that's going to be on golf channel, I think. So if I remember they're going to do like wall to wall coverage and they're going to get it back in the mix, I think too, at 1am and then all throughout the day. So we don't have to worry about that, but um, we'll have to see uh, for the next major. Um, Overall, though, I had had no other complaints. Um, you know, CBS they they do a great job, and um, you know we're gonna see them for the next uh, three tournaments before NBC gets in the mix for the for the U.S. Open. But um, I will comment, I guess, on the ESPN crew. Um, I think they're pretty good. I mean, I, I don't know. They ESPN clearly doesn't want to get into like the week by week golf business, and I you know I can't blame them. They have so much other shit going on. But the crew of Van Pelt and Duvall are really good. And then the whole announcers they have are just like the regular ESPN broadcasters. And then they had, uh, I think they had Dave Fleming, Bob Wischusen, and then one other guy in there. I forget who it was, but it, it was a good broadcast. It was, like a, it was a no-nonsense. Like, they were showing you the golf. It's like we complain about it a lot of times. Show me the damn shots. And they were doing that, and it was it was good. So I have no complaints with the broadcast crew on ESPN. I, th- I think they did a really good job. And if they wanted to get in the mix more with, like, a package of tournaments, like maybe in the fall, I don't know. Um, I, I'd be all for that. I think ESPN has done a nice job with this return. I agree with that. I, I think their coverage 
and everything they've done, and you know, we keep hearing from folks like Andy and Vitred about their coverage of regular, of like regular season, but regular tour events that aren't majors. And it's also very, very good. It's very complete. There's a lot of shots that are covered in all these events. So ESPN Plus doing a terrific job for the money, and uh, that's a good spot. So now let's just close the our coverage of this event by asking the question of, is May a good time for this event? And as I said to you all in text, I really felt like this was one of that year where I felt like, you know what, honestly, I would rather have had this in April, in, in August. Like it really felt like I was straining to get to these to these to these rounds because you had NBA playoffs, you had you had Stanley Cup playoffs, you had baseball playoffs, and then you look outside and it's like, oh my god, it's such a great day. I really just want to go outside today. It's tough to kind of manage all that. So I I wonder if they may reconsider moving it back to August at some point where they would have a much bigger window. They have more people watching the event. Mike, let's get your thoughts on it first. I, I wanted to know what you thought of it. Mike. Yeah. You cut out for a second there, Dave. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think for Maybe it's my now. internet. I don't know. Okay. Go ahead and start. Okay, okay. But, no, no, but you were, uh, you were saying, uh, should they would they move it back to August? I got what you were saying, but you cut out the end. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Not necessarily <laughs> would they. I don't think they're going to. But like, do would it be better for them if they did? I think is the well. Look, question. from my perspective, you know, I I do somewhat agree with you. We have, like you said, NHL playoffs. Like there was a Rangers game on Saturday, a uh, Sunday afternoon, so that people are flipping back and forth. Um, we got NBA playoffs. Baseball has started. Uh, you have the Preakness. And then, you know, for it's like college graduation season. People have grad parties and stuff like that. The weather's getting nice. People are outdoors, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it, it's um, it adds to a saturated mix. Um, what I almost think would be a novel solution, although I don't th- this will never happen, but it's just something I think from like a. Uh, pure good of the sport would make sense, which is like Southern Hills. I know they've had PGA championships there before, but, and I know they had PGA championships at Kiowa Island in August, but you don't really want to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma or outside of Charleston, South Carolina, or anywhere in the South or the Southwest, obviously, although I don't think they'd go there anyway. Um, in the in the dog days of the summer it's too hot and just things are too prone to like pop up thunderstorms so you're gonna get rain delays or whatnot but you know like it would almost make sense to say okay next year we're having it at oak hill in rochester let's have that in august and then i forget where it is after that but um wherever the 2024 pga is uh, I think that's at Valhalla. Okay, so that would make sense. Okay, let's do that in May because that's in Louisville, Kentucky. So, you know, that that would make sense. And, you know, for a while they did move the PGA around a little bit. Like Jack Nicklaus won a PGA in the, sometime in the 1970s. I think it was 72. And they played it in February down in Florida. So it, it's not like it would be completely unprecedented. But um, I, I, I just think for whatever reason, well, not, not for whatever reason, that they clearly found that it's a better moneymaker in May and that trying to move it up sort of would improve its stature. I don't know if it necessarily does. Um, 
but yeah, I, I and I'll, I'll say this because you know we had COVID, so we did have that one PGA, the one at uh, Harding Park in August. You know, I'm telling you, August's going to come around. We're going to miss it because no one's going to have anything to do, and it's baseball, and we're all going to be anticipating the start of college football, start of the NFL, and you know that would be a good time for a major championship. So I, I don't think it would be the craziest idea in the world to say, all right. Let's have a PGA at Oak Hill. Let's have that in August. And let's have a PGA at Whistling Straits again, and we'll do that in August. Uh, and then, you know, more temperate locations will have in May. I think that would make sense. But like I said, just for, like, you know, contractual obligations and consistency of the calendar, I highly doubt that will happen. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a great idea, though. I have to give you credit for thinking of that. A rotation of season seems like a decent call. But uh, we know how television works, so it's it's completely, it's probably not going to, there's probably no, no real chance of that happening. But let's go to John, let's get your thoughts on the scheduling of this event. Um, how would you evaluate it being in May versus being in August? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tricky. Like, I know, you know, Mike Pry is the same, it's like growing up as a kid, it's just like you have nostalgia, like what where you were and what you were doing you know, when the PGA came around in, in August, it was just kind of going away from that. It was just kind of like, oh man, it's like your childhood is being taken away from you. But um, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of like, I like the fact that you have a big event every month of this, of the season. I do like that aspect because in the past where you would have the masters in the middle of April and you'd have to wait like two, two months, almost two and a half months for the next big tournament at the U S open that kind of was a drag for sure. Those couple months, but then, you know, obviously it really picked up after that. Cause you had the, you know, June, July, August, you had a major Well, Now, now you have it in um, the players is a major. I mean, I really don't, it's like, it's a great tournament. So you have that in March, you have, so you have five, um, five months right in a row where you have a big golf tournament. And then if you want to count the FedEx cup, I mean, I really don't, but Hey, that's, you know, good players are getting together in August for that. So, I mean, I can see why they made the move. Um, and then plus with uh, the Olympics having golf too, uh, you know, every four years, it would, just, it would have been a huge, you know, crunch on the schedule to have that plus the open and then the PGA championship and then the FedEx cup. So they had to spread it out. Um, so I, I get why they did it. Um, I, I do like that idea about moving it based on where the location of the, the golf course is. That's a great idea, but just for the consistency of the schedule, I don't see them doing it. So I know I'm kind of like half and half on it. Like the way the set the schedule is set up now, I think May is fine. Um, but if they were to make adjustments to the schedule, I wouldn't have a problem with it going back to August. But I don't see that happening anytime soon because they want the FedEx Cup to end the week before Labor Day. Uh, and that's what's happening this year. Last year, they got that, um, you know, it because of COVID and the, the readjusted schedule, it had to end Labor Day, which was you know, obviously the first weekend of college football. But this year, the last golf season the last day of the golf season is august 28th so there's no no con you know no conflicts with with football so uh, that's what they want going forward and that's how the pga is gonna gonna fit into it in may so uh we'll expect to see see that going you know for a while dave i think you're on mute maybe i don't Oh, you know, that's a really good point that saying. you make as far as the uh, 
of the uh, as far as the FedEx playoff in August. Like that's a definite factor. I didn't really I wasn't really thinking about that, but that's a really good point. They really build their schedule around that playoff and they don't want that playoff in October. Like that would just be not really in their best interest. So I get it. So it's it's just a bit of an under, unfortunate situation. I mean, the playoff is what it is. Like it's fine. Like it's I mean, I don't think people wake up every morning and grow up wanting to win the FedEx Cup playoff. <laughs> It is a nice prize, though, I'm sure. But um, well, honestly, like as a per- personal experience, like the the one time it did get played in August, I think it was a couple of years ago, I watched more of it that weekend than I ever would or okay. that I did last year when it was on Labor Day weekend. So, I mean, it it definitely, you know, it, it works for that purpose anyway as yeah. a golf fan. Um, so I don't know how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's – I mean – if they could rotate some of them, like Mike said, I feel like that's like the best of both worlds, which is why I like the idea so much. It's like, I think you can make that work. Like maybe in Olympic years, you could do that. You can move it in May and have it in May and not Olympic years. Maybe not. Or just, and then the years in between, I wouldn't know what to do, but you just, just kind of play it by ear. It's just, uh, you know, broadcast entities aren't really big fans of that sort of thing, like flexing and whatever. So it's all, it's all right. Um, that's pretty much it, I think, fellas. So why don't we go ahead and look, take a look ahead at the calendar. Uh, some key events coming up as we head toward the U.S. Open at Brookline, Massachusetts. Wow, that's a nice location. Wow. <laughs> um, maybe tell us a little bit about that, too, uh, Mike, if you want to get into that a little bit. But uh, coming up, we have uh, we mentioned the Charles Schwab and the Memorial and RBC. So uh, what's coming up on the tour, Mike? Well, an event that is not on the PGA Tour, but that is coming up or is apparently supposed to be played is the first ever live golf tournament or live whatever the hell they call it (laughs) in outside of London, June 9th to 11th. Now, we had like the whole special show on this and we thought it was dead, but apparently it's not dead. Wow. Um, Although apparently Greg Norman's about to be fired. We're going to mention Greg Norman's comments. My God. We all make mistakes. Would you be any more of an idiot? Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, we all make this mistakes. This better not have been about yesterday. Is this about – oh, God. That, no, no, no. This wasn't, just, no, no. This wasn't about the, the school shooting. This was about dismembering the uh, Jamal Khashoggi. He got asked about it, and he was like, you know, we all make mistakes. You just got to learn from Oh, them. I think we did talk about that. I think we did talk about that. Okay. Jeez. So yeah. – um. Yeah, but I, we thought it was dead, but apparently they wow. they got people who have asked for releases. Now, we don't, we're still a little bit unclear on who some of the players are, although it seems basically that whole old writer, European Raider Cup contingent is going to be there. So Lee Westwood, Martin Keimer, uh, Stenson, start with them. Um but it's still somewhat up in the air, but uh, they're, they're claiming that a lot of people did ask for releases for the PGA tour and from the uh, DP world tour, formerly known as the European tour. So it seems like this tournament's going to happen in a few weeks. Uh, we'll see who actually shows up. And then, you know, that's, that's going to be interesting because that's really when the fallout will start is when players go and actually play because there was speculation that the PGA tour was going to actually allow the players to go and play in the London tournament. Almost say, you know what, let's kick this down the road a little bit and we'll deal with the, the issue when they want to play in the United States. But I, I, I'm guessing because it was part of the strategic Alliance, the DP world tour, people were like, no, 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 you, 
you can't let your players go play there in an event in continental Europe. And then, although I guess uh, UK is not kind of, you, you cannot let someone go play in Europe in an event there in a tour opposing us and with us in a strategic alliance. So that's what I almost think happened there. So going to be interesting to see what happens, who uh, goes, who actually plays and then what the consequences are for doing that. Yeah. That will be interesting. I, I assume the PGA tour will indefinitely suspend anyone under the condition like you can never I, I don't think they'll try to permanently ban them except for maybe phil mickelson and i guess i'll touch on that real quickly um i think the guys that go over and do play that it'll be sort of a you can never ever ever play a tournament like that again and they'll try to get them to sign something there but we'll see it's going to go to court without a doubt i mean assuming this even gets off the ground i i i do think there's still a chance that if the entry sheet is absolute garbage that they may pull the plug on this. So we'll, we'll, we still got to see what happens, but it's supposedly happening. It's supposedly a few weeks away and we'll see who shows up. And then uh, we could be in for a uh, radically different landscape in the world of professional golf. And regarding Phil Mickelson, I a hundred percent think he is indefinitely suspended and the uh, PGA championship honored the suspension because of course it's run by the pga of america not the pga tour so in theory a suspension from the pga tour you could still play the pga championship but i think like augusta they chose to honor it and like augusta they also chose not to say they chose to make like a deal we're not going to say that you're suspended here because of just the uproar or not really an uproar but just the the sideshow and the attention that that would cause so um yeah that's where we are I, you know I, if we ever see phil mickelson on the pga tour again that, you know that's uh that's starting to become a possibility that that yeah. may never happen because if he was intimately involved with finding lawyers to write the operating agreement for a rival tour that, you know, that that's grounds to tell someone never come back. Yeah. So, um, you know, a story that we kind of thought was going by the wayside is still around. And uh, so we have an interesting next couple of weeks to see how that plays out. I want you to visit the question of, would you watch that? Are you good? Would you like Mike? Would you put that on TV if it was on TV? Where would it be? Like what channel? Well, that was my put... question. Is this? I don't even think it has broadcast rights. Oh at this really? Point. Is it going to be on like you know Al Jazeera television? I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, we, we, we got to watch it. We're going to get canceled if we keep making jokes like that. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably be on some like shady website where the Saudis like install malware on your computer or something oh, like that. So. No, there's no TV rights at the moment. Oh, okay, okay. No, you're right. We we could very much get canceled if we just speculate on that any further. So we'll we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. To that. But John, any thoughts as far as that scenario in general is concerned? Yeah, it seems like you know, like Mike said, it's all the kind of the old European guard. I think I saw Dick Bland is going, so he'll you know, you know what for a guy who's fifty years old, like cash in on your four million if you can beat somebody else. I mean, go for it. I mean, you're you know kind of selling your soul, I guess, but Hey, the, the, get the bag while you, while you can. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Like, I think they'll have at least one event. It, it sounds like they're really going to go forward with this for at least one. But after that, I mean, I don't know. I, it doesn't sound like any of the, the major, you know, American players or, you know, tour stars are going for this. So if it's just, and, you know, like, honestly, like, you know, these guys make so much money as it is like, what's the point of, 
you know, they get an extra 2.5. I know it's, you know, it's a lot of money to us, but like to them, like what's another 2.5 million or 3 million to Rory McIlroy to, to have all this, like this shit show. Like if you're, if you're going there to, to, to play in this. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens in a couple of weeks. You know, it's not going to be televised. We'll see who shows up. It'll be uh, in the fall. It will be definitely, definitely will be interesting. Um, the other thing about Mickelson, I don't know if you guys saw the article where it said that he was passing him and Gary McCord in the uh, TV tower. He was betting like, you know, tw- McCord would flash like three fingers. So that'd be like three to one odds that Mickelson would make like a putt. And then if he made it, McCord was dropping like 20s out of the tower form as he went by the hole. Um, and then there's another story, like it was a, a President's Cup match where Mickelson was partners with Tom Lehman and Mickelson was like literally hitting it everywhere. Like he was, he did not like finish a hole basically. So he's Mickelson's off, like in the, tr- in the trees, like on a stump kind of like, you know, sulked over and, you know, Lehman goes over to console him and there's Mickelson on his phone checking football scores. Like he clearly had no like interest in like playing the, that, that event and just like, you know, all about, you know, gambling and whatever. And you now he's, he's a degenerate just like all of us, but still yeah, like true. just a really, <laughs> Real funny stick, just a crazy, crazy story. Like, and the tour had to shut that down between him and Court, and you know how you know CBS. He was kind of on a short leash with them for a lot of reasons to begin with. So uh, that was just a fascinating story. I mean, yeah. lots, lots more to Mickelson than you know than than you know what's on. But um, yeah, I, I imagine he won't be coming back for a while. So um, in terms of the PGA Tour, a uh, couple of good events coming up this week. Colonial is always a good tournament. And then the Memorial next week will be, that's always a great field. And then the Canadian open hasn't been played in what, three years now or two years uh, since 2019. Yeah. So they missed two years because of COVID. So you imagine they'll get a decent field for that. So three good tournaments coming up before the U S open and then the travelers, which is here in Connecticut, it, you know, obviously the U S open being in uh, Brookline in Massachusetts, it's going to have a great field. So the next month of golf is going to be uh, really, really good. So um, definitely tune in to, to some action here uh, before the U.S. Open. Uh. Yeah, I agree with all that. I, I mean, I'm looking at it on the schedule. It does look like a really good run of events leading up to the open, to the U.S. Open. So, um, Mike, do you want to do anything as far as a preview of the U.S. Open itself? Uh, no, not really. Okay. I mean, I'm not really uh, prepared to do much other than I, I guess I'll say it. A couple things just about the course, which is, um, you know, this place is famous because it was the site of the uh, 1912 U.S. Open, or it might have been 1913. Let's see. See what I mean? I'm not prepared. But anyway, it was the um, where Francis we met, who was the 17 year old amateur, beat the um, the the two the guys that were considered the two go- top golfers in the world Harry Varden I think uh for what his uh, first name was but something Ray and it was this huge upset and it's like considered a moment that really uh like brought golf to a different level in the United States and sort of um you know uh, paved the way for the American domination of golf that went on from basically the 1920s through, um, let's say, late 1970s. So uh, you'll probably get a lot of anecdotes and stories about that. Um, in fact, it was 1913 because I remember um, 
when they had the U.S. Open at Marion in 2013, there was a lot of anger from the membership at the country club because they figured they were a shoe in to get the 2013 U.S. Open as the 100-year anniversary of the Francis Wimet win. And, of course, it didn't. Um, so what this course actually looks like, uh, you know, if you go and you look at 99 Ryder Cup, it looks completely different now. It's one of those things where – of course, evolved into something that was tight, tree-lined, a lot of rough, circular greens, and they've sort of, you know, ripped everything back to try to make it more like it was in the 1920s, 1930s. So how it's actually going to look, how it's going to play, I don't know yet exactly. I'm sure we'll see some of the, um, you know, sites that and social media accounts that are into that stuff, like give you a little bit on the course, like the fried egg. Um, I'm sure they'll have something about it. So There'll be more to learn there. And then I guess uh, beyond the U.S. Open, um, a notable event before the Open Championship is that the Scottish Open is a PGA Tour event this year. So it's not going to be opposite the John Deere. It'll be the John Deere and then the Scottish Open and then the Open Championship. So that that's a, uh, in terms of if we get more towards a world tour, this is sort of like the first domino to drop, which is a non-major championship in Europe becoming a uh, PGA Tour event. And, you know, this is this schedule we have this year is only a one-year thing. When they announced the Strategic Alliance, it seemed like there was going to be a greater integration of events. So, um, you know, the, the Scottish Open had gotten onto network TV anyway in the last few years. So, uh, but it is a PGA Tour event. So we'll see, um, you know, how many more other events in Europe over the next few years uh, go down that path. Cool. Well, thanks for that. Jump in. I could see that. Sorry, David. I could see like the fall. They could add some because that's where Europe is doing a lot of their bigger events now. Um, is it like in September and October? And I could see some of those you know, becoming co-sanctioned like the, that the tournament at Wentworth and there's like the Italian open. I think the French open is like in September or October. I could see all those becoming like co-sanctioned. Um, and then maybe like the Irish open, if they want to throw another one in uh, like all the, like the national open, but like, there's not much in terms of space on like the January through, you know, August in terms of adding new tournaments and it's going to get rid of some. So I, I guess that'd be my best guess as to where, these, these co-sanctioned events are going to come from. Hmm, quite a fascinating journey ahead for us, my friends. So pretty good. Okay. Um, John, anything else you want to add before, before we go to final thoughts? thoughts? Nope. I think, I think we're pretty good. I'm definitely looking forward to that Scottish open. It, it, it will prepare us for getting up early for watching the open the following yeah. weeks. It's basically the same, the same time zone. So yeah, some early, some early golf, two weeks, two weeks in a row. I seem to remember a Phil a Phil connection to this because if you remember there would be the years where Phil would do the Scottish Open, then it would really get him in a good spot to do the Open at the next week, and he often did very well. So that was always a thing yeah, that was fun Ricky to follow. Too, he used to be good at golf. Won the Scottish Open once. Wait, who did? When what was that? Ricky Fowler. Oh right, when he right. was good at golf. Yeah, not so much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true he wasn't, but i didn't see him over the weekend though that was really interesting so let's go to final thoughts uh mike we'll go to you first uh your final thoughts as far as our coverage tonight well since we brought up ricky fowler i will go into a side <laughs> tangent about ricky fowler since we're missing andy uh tonight who always has such lovely things to say about him but um 
they asked him about like the, the Saudi league and he seemed like he was somewhat open to it. Now, could he, could that like not illustrate just the absolute greed and sort of just bury your head in the sand, uh, viewpoint that some of these guys have think about like how much money and attention that ricky fowler has made and gotten that is not based on his success on the course and think remember that it's the pga tour and playing in those events that did that for him so i i don't don't know if you're going to try to tell me well we should be driving um the stars should be driving the profits and getting more of the slice. Well, you know what? I mean, should they, should we really have a thing where it's like the Ricky Fowlers of the world who uh, have undeserved popularity and attention are getting all this money and the guys who win don't get as much money. I don't know. That doesn't seem right to me, but again, what do I know? So final thoughts. Um, Yeah. um, Like I said, it was a, uh, interesting event with a compelling finish one of those things where no uh no like clear storyline had really emerged and you had just it was sort of throwing dice at a table and we saw a um you know a somewhat heartbreaking comeback and we saw you know a player who won a major at an early age and you know, he hasn't stalled out he's been winning but it had been a few years so uh Justin Thomas got that long-awaited elusive second major and it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here well said mike let's go to john let's get your final thoughts too yeah i always kind of love this kind of event where you have it's like lots of uncertainty heading into the final round where you had the players stacked up like that and you kind of knew it's because they were also inexperienced in terms of winning events and certainly you know none of them won any majors um, that it was going to be a, a compelling finish, and it certainly was. And, you know, you got a guy coming from behind, the more pedigreed player, you know, posting the score and, and ended up taking the title. So, yeah, definitely, you know, I, I really enjoy a setup like that, and um, it certainly played out that way. And, yeah, you know, Thomas has been an elite talent in the game for a while now, so definitely deserved to get to get another major. And, you know, we'll see we'll see where this takes him. He's certainly capable of winning more, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to follow the, follow his progress. So uh, it's a good major, and we'll regroup for the next few weeks, and we'll we'll do it again at Brookline. So definitely looking forward to that uh, in uh, in a month or so. Cool, everybody. Well, thanks again for doing this. I mean, it, like you, like you said, it really was a fun event this year. Like I'm really glad we had a good leaderboard. We've had a lot of majors where it was pretty much where it was almost decided going into the final round. This is very different from that, and for that reason, I appreciate it very much. So. Fellas, have a great rest of your um, of your week, and uh, yeah, like you said, I'm looking forward to the next recap. So uh, all the best for now, and good luck to all your action tonight and uh, the rest of the week. Take care, guys. See you. Thanks, everybody. All right. Well, that's that's John and Mike. Yeah, fun times tonight. I mean, we really got into a lot of the the meat of this. You know, in terms of storylines, certainly a little bit different than what we were used to, and but it's not a bad thing. I think uh, it was all all in all a very good event. So uh, if you missed any of it, uh, we have the replay here on this on the YouTube page. If you're watching there, if you're listening on the podcast, you can you can go to the podcast feed and well, catch the rest of it. Obviously, if you're listening to the podcast itself, you can just rewind it. But uh, but th- either way, have it, and we're really glad to have your company tonight. 
And uh, we'll be back with more football coverage next week and kind of go from there. And it uh, should be a good time. The uh, playoffs are still underway in both the winter sports. So uh, we'll, we'll do some quick hitters on those as well as we go into the next week. So enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. We hope we always honor those who serve our country. And I hope uh, you all have a wonderful weekend and uh, get much to much deserved rest. My name is Dave Medina. You can catch me here. If you're looking for us on socials, we're at Twitter. I mean, we're at Twitter. Yes, we are. But at Ditcow on Twitter. And then on our website, ditcow.com, you can catch all the archives going all the way back to the beginning of the program. And uh, we have a YouTube page as well. We have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash ditcow. And uh, outside of sports, you can catch me on Twitch as well. I do an interview show there called The Sandwich Show, and where we interview all sorts of content creators throughout the internet that are not necessarily – oh, don't cut me off yet. <laughs> not necessarily, not necessarily sports, so it should be really fun. So uh, have a wonderful rest of your or your evening, everybody, and have a wonderful rest of your week as well. My name is Dave Medina. Glad you enjoyed it tonight, and we'll see you next time.